Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I am Ben Rothenberg, and I'm very thrilled to be joined for a special post-Davis Cup, nude-fangled Davis Cup rap edition, joined by my friend and colleague Eleanor Crooks, who was covering the event in Madrid last week, or just a few days ago, actually, for PA, which is the UK, uh, UK formerly known as Press Association, the equivalent of the AP. Eleanor, thanks for being here. Thanks for making time to come on NCR. Appreciate it. No, no problem at all, Ben. So you have just a bit of background on you for your first time on the show. For listeners who may not know you, you've covered tennis extensively in the last years. And just I'm curious, specifically for this conversation, about your background covering Davis Cup and Fed Cup, which I know has been closely watched in the UK, especially during the last decade or so as they've been contenders and one-time champions. Yeah. Um, actually, the first tennis thing I ever covered, I think, was Davis Cup. It was a Davis Cup tie between Great Britain and the Netherlands in 2007. Hmm. Um, and then I've sort of, yeah, covered tennis kind of, um, not exclusively, but mostly from about 2010. And yeah, so from 2010 until now, I'd say I've done most of Britain's Davis Cup ties, not all of the away ones, but certainly most of the home ones. Um, and yeah, as you say, obviously 2015 was the was the highlight for us. Um, yeah, somehow managing to win the competition, which was certainly when I started covering tennis, not something that I ever thought I would see. Um, right. And then yeah, I've done I've done two Fed Cup ties, I think, because obviously where uh, Britain have been in the uh, in the depths of the Euro Africa zone, it obviously hasn't been a particularly uh, attractive <laughs> thing to cover so but uh, I did cover um Britain's uh win over Kazakhstan in April and uh Britain's win over Romania which is famous for lot or Britain's lost to Romania should I say no, that's right famous or infamous should I say in, for definitely one of the reasons most, definitely in, infamous in, one of the more infamous Fed Cup ties <laughs> in the decade for sure yeah, to say the exactly. least um so yes yeah, so with all that background I guess I'm curious just sort of what your expectations were when you got assigned to cover Madrid and and what you had thought of the the forms and and what you expected before you got there. Yeah. I mean, I have to say I, I wasn't a particular fan of the reforms. I would have rather that uh, it was voted against and the competition stayed as it was in, because covering Davis Cup weekends is probably one of my favorite things that I've ever done. You know, we've had some absolutely amazing weekends with, with Britain both at home and abroad and uh, I I understood obviously all the sort of um, things that were wrong with the competition um, but I also sort of didn't want to see it so radically changed but having said that I was actually I was looking forward to the week in Madrid because I thought that in and of itself it was going to be a really good competition the question for me was would it feel like Davis Cup so I guess that was my big uh, big thing but um no, I did go into it reason- reasonably hopeful, I think. And also, I I did want it to be a success, whereas I think, you know, there were quite a few people, not necessarily journalists, but there, there were certainly a lot of fans who, who seemed to be wishing that it, it was going to be a complete disaster. But I wasn't right. one of those. I, I, I did want to see it succeed because I love Davis Cup. And whether we like it or not, this is Davis Cup now. So I feel like if you... 
if you wish ill on it, then, you know, be careful what you wish for, because maybe Davis Cup won't exist at all. I don't think it's going to go back to what it was. I'm sure it will, it'll probably be tweaked and the format might change again, but I don't think it's going to go back to what it was. Yeah, I'm curious about that sort of antagonistic press and just what the atmosphere was there, because I've been at some events covering as press where the press really seems to be rooting against the event and mm. or just sort of, you know, antagonistic towards it from the outset. The one that most sticks in my mind for that was the Sochi Olympics where people just seemed, right. who were there just seemed really miserable and determined <laughs> to hate the thing. And, um, and which wound up, you know, years later being exposed as being a massive doping mess and everything. But yeah. at the time it just seemed like people weren't giving it sort of, I don't know, a fair shake or just were, were determined or, preset not to like it and i'm curious what the attitudes were yeah for a bunch of people because a lot of the press certainly was outspoken against the uh the reforms and i know that even just in the coverage of like dave haggerty's re-election as itf president this year i think a lot of people um from the outside press perspective really thought that there was a good case for getting rid of him because of this davis cup reform and he wound up winning a re-election easily yeah. On the first ballot with like over 60% yeah. with no real challengers. And so I'm, I'm just curious what um, what the attitude was there and, and how, how you saw just looking around the press room in Madrid, which I've been to for the uh, Madrid Open. I assume it was the same press room. Um, uh, yeah, I've actually never done the tournament, but I think okay. it was. Although apparently they had, I think there were 650 media representatives oh, wow. at Davis Cup. Yeah, so I think it was a, a pretty expanded press room there. Yeah. So I think it was the main press room, but then there were other, lots of other bits used as well. So, yeah, well, I mean, it, there were a lot of media there. Um, yeah, I'd say it was mixed. I think there were certainly some people uh, and some countries, uh, dare I say, that, that were definitely a lot more negative towards it than others. Um, I feel like most people wanted to give it a chance. Obviously, a lot of the focus was on the things that could go wrong. So definitely people were sort of, looking for things going wrong but i don't think that's necessarily the same as you know wishing it to fail yeah no definitely um i guess so once once you got there what what were your impressions and takes as as it got started you know did it feel like to answer your sort of own question did it feel like Mm. davis cup right away or did it feel like something Um, different or what were your first thoughts as the first round robin yeah I, i think it took time i think it took time to get going, I mean, partly because for us, Great Britain didn't play until the Wednesday. So we had Monday and Tuesday without uh, Britain playing, which obviously, you know, I've never been to a Davis Cup tie that didn't involve Britain. So that was a bit strange. Um, yeah. And Spain didn't play till the Tuesday night. So it did feel like it, it took a bit of time to get going. But I think it um, it was strange because it depended which tie you went into. Like um, I went into uh, Canada's first match against Italy I want to say and um yeah the atmosphere in there was was great you know that it it did feel like Davis Cup because there were a lot of fans from both sides and they were really noisy and it I mean it wasn't a big arena I think it was about 3,000 seated about 3,000 people but it was reasonably full and you know it did feel like a great atmosphere but then some of the other ties particularly the ties in the big arena where there were, if there weren't many fans in there, you know, that really didn't feel like Davis Cup. So it, it sort of, it, it was a strange one because it very much depended which teams you were watching and, and where you were going. But um, yeah, definitely I, it, to start with, I felt like, no, it, it did feel completely different. It didn't really feel like Davis Cup. Um, 
But once we got into the British ties, because Britain had the most fans there apart from Spain. So, mm. I mean, even that, it, you know, even that it wasn't that many. It was still only about a thousand or so. Uh, but Britain's matches were, were quite exciting and quite tight. So there was a, you know, there was a lot to sort of get into. So uh, definitely watching Britain, I felt like it, it did feel like Davis Cup. I mean, sort of maybe Davis Cup a few years ago when we weren't playing such high profile ties and we were in smaller arenas. But definitely it did did have that feel. And for me, I think the thing that really clinched it actually feeling like Davis Cup was was the players and how invested they were and hmm. how much sort of passion there was. Because that, that is the essence of Davis Cup. Yes, of course, the atmosphere was, was a bit patchy and, and that's a huge part of Davis Cup. But you could see sort of straight away really how much it meant to the players. So I think that was that was a huge thing. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. The sort of player investment really did seem to be, from what I could tell, maybe this is a too strong a term, but almost undiminished. I mean, like certainly yeah. seeing the emotion after players won. I watched, I mean, it was, I'll, I'll say, I did not watch a ton of Davis Cup. Part of why I'm happy to have someone there because it was not available widely on US TV. Well, indeed, uh, that was which was a, mess. was a massive problem. Right? Yeah, that's a huge problem for the competition yeah. for sure. And I imagine that will get fixed by next year. And it's amazing yeah. that it even happened this year. But I did watch the US Canada tie, uh, which was on. And yeah, seeing like Possible's reaction after he won didn't look like anything, you know, dampened from what it would be in a normal Davis Cup moment. Um, no, no. Yeah. And I think that was. That was the biggest success for me was how invested the players were, you know, at a time of the season where I'm sure most of them probably wanted to be lying on a beach somewhere. But yeah. you didn't get that vibe at all. Whereas sometimes I felt at the ATP finals, it, it has felt a bit like a, a, um, a sort of, you know, definitely an end of the season event where people maybe aren't quite as invested as they might be. Whereas this, it did, really didn't feel like that at all. And um, I think that's, that's the big thing that um, Gerard Piquet and Cosmos got right was that they focused most of the attention and most of the money, it has to be said, on the players and on the teams and making sure that they were happy and on making sure that every they had everything they needed um, on site and at the hotel and the transport. You know, all the teams are mentioning that the organisation for them was fantastic. Um, so then I think, I think that that certainly helped probably. I mean, there were... There were countries uh, maybe that 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 weren't so positive. I mean, the the French players, you know, there oh, there yeah. were hardly any French fans there because uh, their fan group boycotted. I heard they I boycotted. That's right yeah. um, because they they've been um, probably the most critical of the changes, and so and they were all you know if you'd ever been to a French Fred Cup tie, I mean Davis Cup tie, the atmosphere you know was always great, and the fans were fully invested. So that was a, that was a shame, and I think for the French players that definitely did sort of dampen their enthusiasm for the event and obviously they didn't do particularly well um so yeah not not all countries i think you could say it maybe the passion was quite the same but definitely for most of them it was and yeah there were certainly some some moments like the the serbia tie where serbia lost and uh, yeah. they all ended up in tears and and obviously saw how much it it meant to rafa and everything that he put in so yes i think that yeah the the biggest positive for me was the fact that the players were fully invested and their passion for playing the competition didn't seem to have diminished with the change of change of format i mean i think there were sort of three components to the 
successive Davis Cup to for them to be graded on, which is one was the players and one was the slash competition, I guess, which I think they did very well on. Yeah. One was the media, which you're saying the turnout was incredible. I mean, 600 is a yep. huge number for any tennis event. That's yep. like more than that's probably Grand Slam level, probably. And then, yes, yeah, um, no, it was, yeah. And then the third one is the fan participation, which definitely seemed mm. to be leaving something wanting. But I do think I would think that the first two being so strong would encourage the third for next time. That I feel like people, the fans, were definitely skeptical of this event and didn't want to invest in making the trip to Madrid and flying there. I mean, you can't really drive to Madrid from almost anywhere uh, in the world um, in terms of other countries, maybe neighboring France, but even there, that's a pretty long drive. So um, maybe, you know, if it could go that well, that if, it, if this was a good enough advertisement for it to boast on that in the future. The other thing I'll say on the first two points, the players and press, is that, I mean, you got to be there for the Tipsarovic-Serbia moment and, you know, for yeah. other moments and for Canada's run and whatever other stories you might have written or other world media might have written during this week and that you and like you said you had never been to a, a Fed or Davis Cup tie before that didn't involve Great Britain yeah. and so I think that's a big win for the competition to make yeah. it no, I agree. much more and, of a World just, Cup um, cover everything kind of thing yeah. make that all accessible and, yes and also I, I felt that you know from a media point of view from a journalist being there that was great being able to sort of pick up these stories that yeah you wouldn't probably otherwise really notice and being able to go and watch other countries that was great it sort of it did feel like one competition whereas obviously normally davis cup has kind of felt like very um like individual tournaments almost isn't it whereas yeah. where but you don't really pay that much attention to any of the other ties whereas obviously this yeah it, it did feel like a one big event and actually all the players said that one of the things they really liked was was being among all the teams and seeing all the other players there and everyone in their national kit and it it made it feel special. I think Postazil even said that it felt more special than previous Davis Cup ties because there were all the other players there and all these players that you know that you admire and look up to and and you're achieving these things in front of them. So yeah, um, yeah, that was definitely uh, a, a strong point, I would say. Almost seems more like an Olympic atmosphere that way, with you know all the yeah. countries walking around together. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the only other time you'd get that. But obviously, yeah. even then, the Olympics is is still an indiv- basically an individual competition. Right. So I think, uh, yeah, this sort of even felt a bit different to that. So I guess what? So by the end, I guess what were you, what were your impressions on this new format? Once it all ended um, with Spain, and I think this was sort of a, a dream result. I mean, well, maybe yes. the dream result would have been Serbia making the final and having Djokovic yes, and having, in the final. Yes, yeah. But outside of that, it was an exciting, new, younger, credible country. I mean, because Canada's been on the radar as a rising country in tennis for yeah. a while now, so that was a very credible finalist. And I will say, in comparison yeah. to like Belgium, with due respect to them, having made the final like twice in the last five, six years after having not really been much of a factor in any other component of tennis, I always thought the Belgian. Success is a little bit of an odd outlier, but the yes. but the but the Canadian success made sense on paper. It did seem like yes. more of what we would call in other sports, like a best on best competition. Like pretty much everybody, with the exception, really only of Zverev, um, who was healthy and qualified, showed yeah. up. Yeah, um, he was it, the only he yeah. was the only one who could have played. He was country qualified and yeah. chose not to play. I mean, there I were think, a few with yeah. withdrawals, obviously, but that yeah. was inevitable given when it was. 
Yeah, and Isner just had a kid, and Ishikori was injured. But I mean, other than yeah. that, it was pretty much full strength for everybody. So I'm curious, say, what was your assessment when it was all when the when you know Rafa lifted the trophy and it was all said and done? And how did how did you look back on on this radical, radically changed format and how it fared? Yeah, I I think I think overall I'd say it was it was a qualified success. I think. Um, I definitely say it was more positive than negative, but obviously there were a lot of things that need to be improved. Um, for me, the biggest issues were we were talking about the atmosphere. That's that was a, clearly a big issue because um, from all the time, I think Spain, three of Spain's matches, they were the only ones that sold out, and most of the matches were struggling to be half full, really. Um, and the, the second and third court are not big courts. They don't see that many fans. But I mean, I went into a match between uh, the Netherlands and Kazakhstan. And I mean, to be fair, it was a good noise. And all the people who were there were fully involved. But I reckon there were about 300 people there, um, which obviously, you know, that's not ideal. Um, and for Davis Cup, to be a success as Davis Cup, I think it does need to attract more fans. But this was the first year. And as you say, I feel like the tennis that was on offer and, and all the sort of the stories around it, I think will encourage people maybe who were sceptical this time. I think it will encourage people to go. I mean, I asked that on my Twitter feed. I said, is there anybody out there who has been swayed basically and yeah yeah, I had you know I did have people saying to me yeah I I still don't really like the format but I would consider going next year so I I think that the key test for the competition on that front is is does it improve um the other big issue was it was the schedule which yes I was gonna bring I have to admit I hadn't it hadn't really occurred to me beforehand just quite how much tennis they were trying to cram into a week and and obviously, this all comes down to where it is in the calendar, and because ideally it would probably be about three days longer. But nobody wants an extra three days at the end of the season, because especially if you want the final on a Sunday, it, it would mean having a whole extra week essentially. So that's not going to happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy, really, the amount of tennis that was being played, and as we know, you know, matches going on till four in the morning, yeah. and it, that was ru- that one, yeah. but. It's a dead rubber doubles dead match rubber. between between yeah, Italy and, and yeah. the US. And for the moment, I'm sure nobody there. I was going to say on the crowd yeah, side. There were still yeah. few people, apparently. I mean, I wasn't there, I have yeah. to say. Um, Good for you. But, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, I mean, joking aside, for journalists who were trying to, you know, cover the whole event and didn't have a particular, particular national slant, I mean, it, it was pretty brutal, I think. So, um, and obviously that's not really fair on the players. It, it's not fair on fans and... So, and I'm not entirely sure how they get around that issue. Um, Gerard Piquet gave a press conference at the end and he was kind of saying, oh, we're not worried about that. It's, it's easily solvable. But I was a bit surprised by that because I'm really not sure it yeah. is. So they were talking about, he was talking about potentially trying to build another court at the Car Magica. I mean, which, A, it, it, that seems that's the issue. quite no. tricky. And also, yeah. I don't think that would actually solve anything because you it still wouldn't, you still would have to have these two sessions. Um, or the other possibility they were talking about was there's another, um, some kind of indoor arena in Madrid, and they were talking about potentially using both venues um, mm. in the early stages to try and stop this, um, having to have 
you know, two ties back to back. So that's definitely something they need to solve because, the, I mean, the players accepted it this time because it's a new competition, but they won't accept it next year if that's still the case. So yeah. they definitely need to look at that. Um, so those were the two big negatives for me, I would say. Um, and the I other one think, that, sorry, that I saw, is, yeah, I, I'll just jump in. The other one I saw as mm. a problem was also in this U.S. group was when Canada clinched their spot in the knockout rounds in the quarterfinals and then gave and a walkover the to the mm. U.S., which was like six, which counted in the round robin, you know, qualific or the sorry wild card sort of qualifications to get into the knockouts as a six zero six zero win for the U.S., yeah. which could have massive implications if it went came down to various tiebreakers. And you know, there were like six teams that tied it with one and one records in the competition, yeah. and so that could have easily swayed something. Um, and so that just seemed like a big problem. I think the idea of three uh, team groups I, three three team or three person round robin groups are notoriously flimsy in terms of what you know can happen in terms of people tanking or rigging or whatever i think that yeah. if there was a way this also might involve needing more time but if there was a way to switch to doing four groups of four instead of three groups of six or sorry six groups yeah. of three six groups that would three, be maybe sturdier and i don't know if they need 18 teams maybe with due respect to i'm not sure who the last one's in would be you know kazakhstan or Colombia or whoever it was who was mm. the sort of bottom of the of the pack um if they all need to get in I'm not sure that, that yeah. would also yeah, be a different length of time and if they want to cram it all in as fast as they did they might not have too much flexibility for it no I think that's the problem is they you know they they, they want this to be a world cup so therefore they want as many teams as possible I mean yeah you could drop it to say 12 and that would probably be better but I don't think that they would want to do that um so, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I don't think the having six groups and then eight teams go through that 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 was uh, was was not ideal for sure. And it also it was incredibly difficult to follow who might be the two teams that qualified. Um, so I don't that wasn't ideal, certainly from a fan point of view. Um, right. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think maybe the the doubles the the walkover thing i think that's probably something they hadn't even considered happening um so i'm sure that for next year they will have considered it and and decided what to do about it whether it's you penalize any team that that forfeits a rubber you know or loses points or can't go through or and the other thing to me that you know the clear teams were allowed to have five players but i mean mm -hmm. canada only had four players russia only had three players so that seems strange to me i think if you if you said that you have to have five players then surely you'd be exceptionally unlucky to not be able to fulfill a doubles match because you didn't have two players fit so yes i think if i was the organizers i'd be i'd be saying that teams have to have five players i think and and then hopefully these things wouldn't wouldn't come up um but i have to say i think that the having the three rubbers per match the two singles and doubles I thought that worked really well and yeah I wasn't you know I wasn't sure it would do because obviously we've been so used to Davis Cup being five rubbers and the doubles in the middle and and that seemed a great format but and best of five uh, sets too yeah yeah but I was really won over by this one I have to say I thought it, it felt it felt like every set was important every match was important um and then having the doubles as the deciding rubber again was was great it really put the spotlight on doubles and we had you know the 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 
proper doubles guys and then we had the singles guys playing doubles and the sort of that matchup I thought was was really exciting um I mean I think maybe the organizers got a bit lucky because a lot of the ties did go down to that doubles and the ones that did go down to the doubles a lot of them sort of went all the way to a third set or even a deciding tiebreak. There were three or four ties that came down to a deciding tiebreak in the doubles. So I don't know if that's strength of the format or whether it was it was just a bit of luck that it played out that way. But I thought that um I thought that, that the format itself was was really good, even if the the eight qualifiers from six groups wasn't ideal. Yeah, no that's, that's something I'd heard is one of the main skepticisms, you know, that people thought Davis Cup shortening you know, losing best of five sets, having it just be over one, you know, six hour session instead of over three days to complete a tie would lose something. But you're saying, I guess it was almost like a positive edit that it made yeah, more, I mean, more I, high stakes. I mean, I'm sure there were probably other people that, that did miss the the five sets and did miss it being over three days. But personally, I didn't. Personally, I thought it, it worked really well and it was exciting. Um and you know all the fans seem to seem to be to really enjoy that to be really invested and it, it you could you know you you yes you're giving up a day but for that day you, you're seeing an awful lot of tennis and an awful lot of excitement and yeah personally for me that was a, a big win i think and then i guess the other thing i'll mention i'm not sure how much this was talked about there um after this success of this you know new innovative brown robin group world cup style thing the next event on the men's tennis calendar <laughs> is almost identical uh, yes. in concept. It's it's spread out a little bit. It's 10 days long instead of seven. And it's over across three cities instead of just one. Um, instead of one city with three courts, it's going to be you know yes. three stadiums across three cities, um, which is actually going to have some interesting issues in Brisbane, particularly with how the WTA is going to get relegated there off the main court. It's a different topic. But um what what was was there talk there or sort of you know eye rolling or fatigue about how how there's suddenly all these new cup events with labor yes. cup also labor cup is suddenly the established format of these three <laughs> it's it's the old guard labor cup which has been around for three whole years uh, oh, compared no. to these new upstart uh upstart competitions so yeah i'm curious what you think having been to this one and having been i think fair to say overall positive about, about the yeah. new davis cup yeah. changes what you think the appetite and the viability is for something so similar um in concept which even more maybe a little bit bloated because there are some teams in this atp cup which seem like absolute no hopers uh yeah. in terms of like uruguay and norway and moldova moldova yeah. moldova um with you know which has one top 100 player but otherwise is not a country anyone associates with tennis and good for them for i'm sure they're thrilled to be there but what does it i mean what do you think and what do you think coming into this uh, ATP Cup now in terms of if it'll work, if it can work, if there's room enough on the calendar for both of them? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just so tennis, isn't it, to end up in this situation where we, this situation that everybody agrees is is ridiculous and yet somehow has still happened. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, there was a lot of talk about it, obviously, and about the short time in between um, and about how similar the competitions are. And I think actually... One of the most interesting things was that Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal were both um, outspoken in saying that this this shouldn't continue, basically, and that there should just be one team competition and it should be at a better time of year, which, I mean, that's the first time I've heard either of them sort of come out so um, unequivocally and say that. So I think, um, yeah, I feel like because Davis Cup, as you said, was was 
essentially positive. I mean, there were lots of problems with it, but I think the overall impression was positive. I feel like that's now kind of put the pressure on the ATP Cup a little bit to to try and match it. Um, and I think maybe maybe it, we'll see it being a little bit opposite in that I'm sure because Tennis Australia are, are running it, you know, I'm sure it will be in, incredibly slick. And I would imagine that probably the attendance is going to be quite good because fans in Australia are, are used to watching tennis at that time of year. Yeah. And, you know, there are, because of the way that they've done it, where your top player qualifies your team, you know, there's what, 19 out of the top 20 playing or something. So, you've got all the best players there. So I'm sure that the attendance will be very good. Um, I will be very interested to see how invested the players are. You know, this this passion we saw for Davis Cup, will there be the same passion for the ATP Cup? I mean, you're still playing for your country, but obviously it's, it's a new competition with, with no history. So yeah. how will that play out? I mean, there's ranking points. So yeah. um, But it, it, the ATP Cup, to me, it feels more like an individual competition, but sort of within nations. And just the fact that everybody qualified off their own ranking um, makes it feel a bit like that. I mean, certainly for Britain, it's a bit of a strange situation because like, Kyle Edmund was, was clearly our best player at the Davis Cup, but he hasn't qualified for the ATP Cup because mm. Andy Murray qualified through his protected ranking. And then there were two other players ranked higher. Um, and our and then even the doubles players they qualify on their own ranking so we've ended up with two doubles players qualifying who've never played together hmm. and yet Jamie Murray and Neil Skupski um you know played very well in the Davis Cup um were in the the top 15 uh teams for the ATP this year but they won't now get to play together sort of before the Australian Open because only one of them's qualified for the ATP Cup so for me that's that it just doesn't really make sense. It, it all seems a, a little bit contrived. It seems like a, a contrived format to try and get all the best players there, irrespective of how strong their team actually is. So, yeah. Um, yeah, as I say, I'm sure it'll be very slick. I'm sure that there will be a lot of people there watching. Um, but I, I don't know how well it'll hang together as a competition. I think that's probably what I'm what I'm waiting to see and and also how you know how much interest will there be I mean as you said there were more than 600 media at at the Davis Cup I, I don't know how many media are going to be the ATP yeah. Cup but I would imagine Nowhere it's not going to be anywhere near that many so no. is it going to have the feel of a big competition or or not I, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see actually uh, but I feel like the Davis Cup is sort of taken a step ahead because of how everything went last week. I mean, I had thought that ATP Cup sort of formulated itself to take advantage of what was seen as a moment of weakness in Davis Cup, yes. even before the reforms, yes. where Davis yeah. Cup was clearly flagging. And um, and yeah, now that Davis Cup seems to have really had a pretty good, you know, jolt from this week, all in all, um, I think it does definitely put yeah, ATP Cup on a bit of a back foot. And yeah, I think the crowds will be bigger, but I think they will also be far more apathetic because if you're a neutral yes, exactly, Australian that's fan it, exactly. and yeah. you're watching a, you know, even like even like a Germany versus Greece tie with two top 10 players, which is one of the ones I know will be in Brisbane where I'm going to start my year next year. Um, like who cares who wins between yeah. Germany and Greece? Maybe there, if there are, yeah, 
Greece Maybe specifically, the, there are, yeah, there are Greece, Greek immigrants yeah. in Australia, but not every country has a diaspora in Australia. So there could be some really kind of, you know, indifferent crowds. Um, we'll see. It could be, you know, we'll see. Uh, the other uh, thing before I let you go, last thing I realized I get a chance to ask you here uh, yeah. is about the Andy Murray documentary, which I believe yes. you have seen. Um, I actually haven't seen it oh, yet. Oh, okay. No, I've seen clips of it, it and I've Sorry. read an awful lot about it. So I feel like I've seen it. But um, okay. no, I actually, I wasn't able to go to the premiere yesterday because I was still traveling back from Madrid. So, right. um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I can't wait to see it, to be honest. Um, I think it sounds, it sounds fascinating. And from what I've read, it, um, you know, it, it is very much behind the scenes and it's a very sort of intimate portrait. I believe you see, you see him having surgery, I think. You see inside Andy Murray's hip. So whether mm. that's something that people want to see, I'm not quite sure. But um, but but yeah, I mean, I'm sure it, it's a fascinating story, isn't it? And I think when they they started making the documentary, because the um, so the director is the fiance of Andy Murray's brother-in-law, so she is sort of in his wider family. Okay. Um, so she therefore got access that probably another director wouldn't have got and and got a more intimate portrait um so so yeah i believe that you know we see him talking about about the dunblane massacre which he mm-hmm. hasn't really talked about a lot at all i mean perfectly understandably and um and all you know the sort of the wider context of, of why tennis is so important to him um but yeah, they started following him, I think, thinking it was going to be, he was going to have surgery and, and then he was going to come back to tennis and that was going to be the story. But then it ended up obviously being he had the surgery and, and then it didn't work. And he spent essentially sort of a year feeling like his tennis career was was coming to an end. And then he had the second surgery and, and now it, it's very different. So uh, yeah, I think uh, by everyone I know who's seen it said that it's, uh, yeah, that it's definitely well worth a watch and is uh, is definitely a, a sort of worthwhile documentary to have made well we'll look out for that and eleanor thank you very much for being well worth a listen here with us uh today uh folks should follow you you're at eleanor crooks pa on twitter I anywhere am. else, anywhere twitter, else to find right. your follow you or no that, that's, that's, that's it yeah place? i'm uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is it for me in social media so find me there well, thank you very much, Eleanor. Have a good off-season. I will see you somewhere on the tour soon, I'm sure. See you in Australia. Yes. Cheers. Thanks. All right. Cheers. Slow, baby, yeah. You're the only, 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 only.